Social media has completely transformed the way we think about brands. As a term, it's ubiquitous. If you have a phone or an Instagram, you can have a brand. They're everywhere, screaming out to us, look at me, look at me. And yet, getting people to do that is harder than it's ever been before. To understand why we're talking to branding experts Renata Amaral Morris and Gabrielle Siebel. Their branding and design house Eat Creative Studios counts game changers like Netflix, Red Bull, and Twitch among their clients. Renata and Gabrielle join us to talk about their work and to give tips for building a company narrative that people will connect to in this very online age. Um, so I love this. So I was going to ask you how, what the name of Eat Design Studio, where did it come from? So it's the all-you-can-eat design studio, right? It's the Chinese buffet of a st- design studios. But actually, that's not the case. You guys are um, an extremely high-end design studio. But, you know, to, I'd love for you to take a step back for a minute. You, you know, you've been in business over a decade. I'd love to hear about the beginning. How did you start EAT? So EAT uh, w- was started out of the perfect combination of necessity, um, a book, and, uh, and a vision. And also, of course, like I saw an opportunity uh, to create a business in, the, in, in a different country. So the necessity part is, um, you know, uh, I moved here to take my master's and, uh, and the doors were not really open at the time. Like I spent more than a year, uh, you know, sending resumes to tons of different companies. And, and, and I, was, I, I was never fortunate enough to get hired, which, you know, it, it is this beautiful silver lining that sometimes we think that, that, oh, this is the worst thing that could have happened to me. And it was the actual opposite because thanks to that, I was propelled to start my own business. So kind of like building the door that wasn't open from the ground up. And so it was in that same year, 2008, nine, that uh, I was giving this book called Funky Business, which is written by these two Swedish economists. Um, this is a really, really revolutionary book. I remember reading this book on the flight back. I was working on a project in Brazil, and on my flight back, I was reading this book, and it really. Uh, and the book talks about creating a different kind of corporation, creating a different kind of company where um, where it's more talent based than competition based. And and what you do is just that if you have the best talent you are going to have the best product. And, and they talk about uh, just a different kind of business, a funky kind of business. And, and so I started having all these ideas and, 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 and being triggered by the fact that we could create something different, which helped me to create the vision that I had for the company, which is to, to create a company that truly elevates and enhance people's lives, which is until this day, something that we live by. And our goal is to continue to, to elevating both our clients and our our team members' lives, making sure that people are that they have a better life for for our team members, especially that they that they are living a better life because they are working with us. Uh, and so, much more than having beer kegs at the office or ping pong tables, it's just to l- really listen to people and making sure they were really present and really there for them. And and I can give you an example now through the pandemic. Um, you know, we sat, Gabby and I, as we saw that things were crumbling um, and we, we thought, so what can we do right now? What do we think that the team really needs? And so we were like, well, we need mental health 
because we're all going to be locked up and having to work. We didn't stop yeah. working. So we had yeah. paid therapy for everyone that wanted to to uh, you know take advantage of that we we thought about okay sports we need to keep active because otherwise we're going to go crazy so we gave yeah. them a budget each person had a budget to be able to buy whatever they wanted a bike weights yoga classes we got memberships from from a bunch of different um like master class a bunch of different yoga studios that people could you had space meditation so that we could use it and and that's a that's a perfect example of you know instead of just following the trend of having a very sick office that has all these things that people are the majority of times not even using. We try to be very specific and very thoughtful about how we think about people in general. So, yeah, I mean, and I love this idea of how to, you know, as the world has changed, more of us are working remote. Eat is a great example of that. You know, Renata, you're speaking to me right now from LA. Gabby, you're speaking to me right now from Paris, right? Um, and so how we build our companies and the types of, you know, benefits we bring to people has to change. Um, and I, so I love this idea of, you know, the budget for mental health and the budget for exercise. I think that's great. But I, but I, I want to, um, I want to come back to this question. Maybe Gabby, Gabrielle, you can tell me, what was it like at the beginning? How were you, how was Eat Finding Clients? What was... What, were, what was really hard about starting the design studio? Uh, I think there, there are several challenges involved in uh, starting a company and creating a product from scratch. And I think the first one is really establishing uh, which product are you offering and what exactly are you doing? Uh, we started as a full service. So back in the day, we were doing a variety of different projects from social media to websites to actual like event activations and brand development. Uh, and at that point, I think we were trying to test the market and most importantly, try to understand what type of service and what type of product we wanted to develop and we wanted to, to ultimately offer to our clients. Uh, so and what point, do you mean by full service? Is full service like we would basically do whatever our clients asked? Is that is that full service? When it comes to communication, advertising, marketing, yeah, that, that would be the scenario. Like you have a need, we'll try to find a way to produce it and we'll produce it. So 360, uh, kind of like covering yeah. all fields of activity yeah, from a communication. But then how would you describe it today? Uh, we're extremely focused. We do branding and graphic design. And this is the process we've been through. Exactly. This is the journey we've been through and how we evolved and ultimately got to the point where we are. So at that point, we were offering a plethora and a variety, a big range of services uh, to clients very focused in the music industry, which was uh, an industry that Renata knew well and that she was working uh, with since the beginning, since before it. Uh, and then over time, we started focusing and funneling our services more towards the graphic and branding design aspect of it, which is more visual. It's more of like the brand narrative, the brand story, the brand philosophy, and how that is represented from a design uh, and visual standpoint. Uh, and with that focus on a service, the industry started broadening. So we started working with uh, different brands from different fields. Uh, we started working with uh, global bigger brands such as uh, Red Bull, such as Amazon, such as Netflix, uh, and then just really defining in a very specific way the services that we offer. So to give you an example, nowadays we offer three main services. Uh, the main and first service is branding and brand development. So we design brands and we define brand narratives for brands. So uh, take, for example, the word that we did for uh, Ubisoft, uh, which is one of the biggest uh, gaming publishers and producers in the world. Uh, we're currently helping them develop 
the brand identity and the brand design for an upcoming new game that's confidential and that I cannot share, but how do we name that game and how do we design uh, the aesthetic and the logo of that of the game and how will the game Yeah, be tell presented? me more about that. Let, let's just stay there for a second. How do you name how do you name a game? This, it's it's just so fun. I think first before actually getting into the naming process, you need to understand uh, the brand you're creating. So, uh, what is the story you're trying to tell? Who you're communicating with? What are the elements from the game that we need to understand? What is the game about? Is this a shooting game? Is this a puzzle game? Is it a strategy game? Uh, so, I think first step is like collecting all of the information you have available, and most importantly, outlining the information that you still don't have. What are the questions that you have? What are the challenges that we need to solve through the process? So, this is step number one. Uh, step number two is the actual production, the actual creation. So this is pure fun. Uh, we get a group of creative copywriters together from our team. Uh, we share a very detailed brief with them, and then we have individual brainstorm exercises, group brainstorm exercises, and we're just uh, free-flowing all types of like informations and ideas and just name options that we can without any boundaries. Uh, and then we start selecting them and curating them and polishing them and uh, creating defenses for them until we get to around like top 10, top 15, no more than that. So not to overwhelm the client with options. And those options are cleared from a trademark standpoint. They're available on social media. They're ready to go. So we present them uh, and we bring them to the client. And, and is this your, would you say that, that this is your specialty, your sweet spot is to um, start with you know, companies and projects that are like, quote unquote, pre-name, or is that just an example of one type of project? Not necessarily. Um, sometimes we 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 start the project all from from the from the very beginning, from creating the name and conceiving from scratch. But a lot of the times, we're here just to create a brand uh, for a company that already has a name. Um, sometimes. Sometimes we're here to create a sub-brand, and that's usually what happens with the global brands that we work with, because they, as you guys know, they already have your, their brands, so we're there to create, you know, a brand for one of their games, or one of their divisions, or one of their new events, and yeah. and you name it. And sometimes we're uh, hired to, to rebrand, so let's say a company needs, feels like there's a need to 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 come up with something that is more modern or something that is um, more representative of who they are right now, because maybe they haven't gone through this exercise for the past five or 10 years. We, we always think that the sweet spot is, uh, is around that, like uh, every five to 10 years to review what you have. Hey, do you like our show? I do too. If you want to support the startup stack, the best way to do that is by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Also, send dad jokes, or if you have them, actual good jokes, to podcast at rocketplace.com. Feel free to send us feedback there too. Do you have an example of a, a project, whether that's a, a, an initial naming or rebranding that you, know, you and the team are really proud of that you can kind of describe for us? Why was it challenging? Why was it fun? So for so for Revo Mode, the challenge was uh, Disney acquired Maker Studios, which was a big startup working with influencer marketing back in the beginning of uh, of the influencer marketing everything, um, and they had the biggest YouTuber in the world, PewDiePie. So PewDiePie got together with a bunch of other YouTube uh, creators, and he decided to form a network. 
uh, and he wanted that network to live uh, under Maker and under Disney. So we were hired uh, to create the name and the brand for that network. Uh, and it was an amazing project because we got in touch with uh, a bunch of business people who are actually vloggers and content creators, very young, but with a very sharp business comprehension and understanding of everything. Uh, they desired everything they wanted this project to be. Uh, and the challenge that we had, because this brand wouldn't be followed by any suffix, it would only be the brand, not like brand a Disney studio or brand a Disney something. We needed to create a name that would be unique enough for it to be trademarkable. As you could imagine, pretty much all of the words that have four or five letters are already taken. So it's pretty tough for you to find Instagram handles or .com domains of like shorter words. So we needed to come up with a word. And that was the, the amazing brief we were, we were given back in the day. Uh, so come up with a word that would represent the idea of like fun and excitement and like something that is very enticing and alive and playful, which was ultimately what they wanted the network to, to convey, to represent the message they wanted to get across. So we've been back and forth. We had several brainstorms with them. Um, we've been through a long legal process. Uh, and yeah, and the name that we, that we created with them was Ravel Mode, uh, which represents this idea of something that is like very fun and funky. And, uh, and the brand project as a whole was, a, was such a success. We then designed the plug and that plug was called Ravel Mode and the plug would have a different styling depending on uh, each YouTuber, each creator it would represent. Uh, and it's a, it's a project that has a big place in our hearts. Yeah, it was one of the first gaming projects that we got back in the day. I mean, it sounds like, you know, this was a success, you know, right from the word go. But I wonder whether this project or maybe other projects, you know, you and your team must work on them. Maybe you're presenting to the, the client you're really excited, right, about, oh, my God, we've got it. We've figured out these things. But then maybe the client doesn't get it or it falls flat. How do you, nav how do you navigate that, that back and forth or that disappointment? Well, that really happens. Um, that's a lot of the work that I do, which is more of the emotional side of the clients. And uh, I think my answer to you is just, I, I feel a lot of compassion and I... I I, I can easily put myself into the client's shoes. And so instead of uh, protecting our work too much, which don't get me wrong, I get really excited and also very frustrated know, because we are so in love with what we're creating. And then all of a sudden, how dare you come here and say that you don't like it? But yeah, I think there are parts within this. Like, first of all, we have a team of people that care about the project and care about the client uh, just as much as they care about their craft, which is really important to us. Like, we don't really work with people that are too egocentric or they're going to throw a fuss because something didn't go as, as, as they expected. And then, like I said, the second part is, like, I, I have a lot of compassion for what the client's feeling and what is it that they think and what and that's because that's their truth and 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 I respect that so um you know understand that maybe who knows like they have their past their histories maybe like it's happened before like oh we had a client saying that they their wife has seen that in a magazine and because of that it throws them off it who am I to judge why they're not satisfied with it so we humbly you know listen to them uh we do have an opinion so we will share with them and it's happened before uh like but guys we still think that this is the best 
the best name or the best brand for the project. We'll fight for the project. There's been like lots of different experiences where the client pushes back and then is back to it. And they say, yeah, you guys are right. Or the opposite. But at the end of the day, I think this knowledge that we're there for the same reason and for the success of the project is what helps the most with the frustration that we could feel. And and then I try to like bring that feeling to the team as well. Like, guys, it's okay. You know, we're going to work. We're going to do it again. And it's going to be great. Or it's just managing expectations and emotions, which I, I really love. You guys clearly work with some enormous companies. Amazon, Netflix, Disney, New York Times, but you also work with startups. Tell me a little bit about how the work changes when you're working with a smaller company. Uh, so I think that there are a variety of, uh, of different elements that could be taken into consideration. And when we approach that, I think usually when we're working with uh, smaller companies, usually the decision-making process is not necessarily faster, but it has less people involved. So the startups and all of that, you're working directly with the founders or the CMO or the CEO. Uh, so you have a shorter team of people and most likely you're handling the decision-maker directly. So in the presentation, yeah. in, and that helps a lot. Versus versus with the larger companies, there's all sorts of like politics and exactly. presentations. Exactly. And in the big companies, you're actually, you're, help, you're serving as the team of that department to for them to use you to get to a bigger meeting with a C-level executive that will then give them the go. So we need to prepare the Got presentations it. for them and train with them how they will present. So that's definitely one point that changes a lot. Uh, there is the the emotional attachment to the project too. Uh, I think when it comes to a startup, when it comes to a smaller company, it's usually your baby. It's usually your project that you created from, it's an ambition, it's a passion, it's something that you nurtured for a long time. So making a decision of a name or a logo has a lot of like personal um, feelings yeah. and impressions involved. And that's a beautiful process. It's really like, we call it brain therapy sometimes because we get to learn a lot about the clients and sometimes people cry in meetings and we like we really we embrace all of that uh, and when it comes to the bigger corporations they're making decisions they have a variety of decisions to make and those decisions are fast-paced so they're pushing forward uh, so usually it is even if they have more hierarchy like you have more levels of approval uh, decisions might be taken uh, in a faster manner uh, than uh, than in a startup uh, and then everything that goes around it like the complexity of the project the need of like technical explanation the amount the size of the budget for example and uh, other like intricacies and, uh, and elements of, of, of each project but the deliverable by itself is the same we create brand narratives, we create brand stories, we create logos or presentation decks, we design things, uh, and those things serve both the startups uh, and the global brands. It's more like the philosophy and the company culture and the size that really uh, impacts the project and changes the process. So I, I want to um, ask you to wear a different hat for a minute. And, you know, the hat is an advisor. So l let me... Um, you know, imagine I'm, I'm asking you for advice and I'm saying, hey, you know, when should my company be working with an outside design studio? Like, what is the right time? When's it too late? Um, and what are the questions I should even be asking when I'm meeting these design studios? We start by asking the client to ask themselves, what do they need? And because that might sound I don't know, that might sound not as important, but if it's like uh, you're going to choose the company that you want to work with, 
depending on what is it that you're looking for. And, and, you know, maybe you're looking for a specific style and then you're going to have to find a company that, that matches the style that you're looking for. Or maybe you were looking for a company that is global because the brand you want to, you want to launch, you want, you want a company that has a, a true understanding of what it is to launch something here. And then in Paris and in New Zealand, for example, which is completely different if you think about it. Right. Or, You are a company that you you want a team that is small enough that can fit within uh, the structure that you already have, which might be that you have a creative team in house and that, but but the creative team is really busy, or or you want a specialist, like you want an eat that is a specialist in branding and and design, and 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 even if you have a, a big agency working with you or you have an entire creative team, that maybe it's very hard to cover all the different aspects that you can be covering within the needs that a, a company needs. For example, like a company that does PR is completely different from a company that does design, which is completely different from a company that is doing a website. So we we help you to help yourself, asking you to ask yourself the right questions so that you can give us the answers that we need to see how we can be helpful. When you work on these, and maybe Gabriel for you, how do you think about, how do you judge success of a project? So yeah, that's that's definitely what I, what I was going to compliment on Renata's answer. I think at the end of the day, there are two ways for you to judge quality. One way would be the appreciation and just how it feels for you, and we'll, we would call it taste. Uh, and taste would be like a super personal, arbitrary judgment of me saying it looks quality material or it does not, which is extremely personal, and it's definitely not the same way that you think because we have like a different yeah. emotional luggage and we learn things differently. So we have different um, heritage of things that we like or dislike. The second yeah. way for you to judge quality is results. Is does the communication system that you put in place and that you created get the message across? Are you connecting with your audience? Are you generating results? Are you getting um, the uh, action or a call to action or any uh, behavior that you were expecting with that communication or able to create like a sincere deep link with with your target. And uh, that for us is the measure of success. We also work with focus groups. So we create designs and we run those designs by focus groups that are comprised of people who are uh, an example of the target audience we're creating that for. And we're making sure that focus group is saying, this is a go, this resonates with me, this makes sense, you can move forward with that. It would be too ambitious for us to put us ourselves in a position where we can be any type of target of all types of clients because we're, we're not. We have the taste, yeah. which is the first portion of it because we've been working with design for such a long time that I could look at a logo and say like this, this has taken hours and hours of work or definitely not, but that's just my, my personal opinion. And then there's actually like, what, what does this generate? What are the results that that communication piece generates? Uh, so just to uh, link back to your previous questions, I think when you're looking for an agency, try to understand what's the record, what's the history of that agency, like who, who have they worked with, what are the results they generated, and uh, is the size of that studio or agency good for you? Are you working with like a, a 500 people agency in your startup is like you, you, you're two or three people, like it doesn't make it doesn't match. So just making sure there is uh, there is a link between the structure and the philosophy, and also uh, what they did, the results they got, and don't be afraid to ask the questions, to ask for examples, ask for case studies, ask for the data. Uh, I think uh, that's that's very key for you to be able to make your decision. Yeah, 
I wanted to shift the trends a little bit. We 2021 is here. We've gotten through 2020. The, the, the world has changed. Your business has changed, um, or at least how you operate, as we discussed. Um, what, what, are, what are you seeing out there right now? Where, where do you think where do you think we head in 2021? What are the types of things that your clients are asking you for right now? We've been seeing two really clear uh, types of trends out there. Um, we've been seeing lots of fashion brands that are turning into the gaming world as well as the rest of the world is. Um, cool. And this was Tell something- me more about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys had a chance to see that Balenciaga uh, launched an, a game uh, and an entire clothing line uh, based on gaming characters that they created. Um, that was, we've been, uh, you know, working with the gaming industry for so long and watching every little step of it and, and watching this boom where gaming became culture, became something so popular that it's not your usual idea of who's behind these controllers anymore. It's you know, not just the, the so-called nerds or the people who are inside of the house. You're talking about girls. You're talking about like older, uh, 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 just a, a completely uh, all sorts of different ages are playing and are involved with like social games and playing against each other in, in teams and people are. Oh, yeah. So there's a, there's a there's a thing. And then, you know, Adidas just came out with something similar to it, not a game, but a collection. And so it's interesting when you see that when you start when when a. a when culture starts to touch uh, high-end fashion brands, it, it's pretty interesting. And I think the turning point was in the global uh, opening ceremony for the League of Legends in, that happened in Paris. It's been a little, it's, it hasn't been that long, but it, it, uh, Louis Vuitton created the, the, the bag that would um, serve to keep the trophy for the national final of League of Legends. Uh, huh. And and they created this massive. We were lucky to work with the company that that created that that opening ceremony. Um, this but you're right. The, these are two groups that I wouldn't really associate with, right? Exactly. The people who are at and you know following or playing at a yeah. League of Legends championship, yeah, and yeah. high and high in fashion. Exactly, and that's how. That's kind of the feeling that we got as well. But those are a very pivotal moments where we should all be aware to see something that is already, it's been in our face for a while, but it is there and we can just getting this confirm confirmation and confirmation and confirmation. And then to your point, you know, let's say we are past 2020 and we are on 2021, what 85% of the projects we worked on last year were in the gaming industry, which means you know, it, there's, it's definitely not stopping anytime soon. For Just to complement what you're saying, and not necessarily for only gaming companies, but also companies that are not related to gaming, but who are trying to get into the gaming universe or to uh, understand a little bit more about this universe or create like actions and events that are related to that because it, it has gone beyond uh, its own thing and it became like a mainstream phenomenon. It became something bigger. Uh, so everyone is trying to be part of the conversation that is that is very current, yeah. And then there's another trend that I think it's uh, it's extremely important, which is uh, which is authentic uh, representation. Um, we haven't mentioned here, but we are a women LGBTQ 
plus immigrant owned company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was through the silver lining of this very tough year that we had last year that now we feel comfortable enough to share that out loud. And uh, so as part of that, that feeling of being proud of who we really are and feeling finally comfortable to share who we are, uh, it, I think authentic representation is, is, is the least that we could do to help the world to continue to shift forward to a more inclusive place for everyone to live. Do you think about that in your designs? Like when a company comes to you and they, you know, they want a, a, a new brand or a rebrand or you know, you're designing one of your unique experiences, how do you integrate these ideas of inclusion into, into your we're, work? We're very sensitive and respectful, Louis, to to the different projects and the different clients, right? We're going to have clients that are deeply uh, sensitive about it already. Uh, we're going to have clients that are so far from it. Uh, and and we are, we're welcome to everyone. Uh, so for us, it's, uh, it's intrinsic to the company that we are to always think about it and propose. But that doesn't mean the client's always going to go for it. But the way that we think for our designs, if you are creating, if we're designing, um, you know, the user interface design for a website and you're going to be showcasing f- cartoon figures, you, we're definitely going to be thinking about representing as many different people as we can, right? That being said, that does not mean that every project will allow us to showcase that, which is fine for now. But uh, like I said, th- that's the least that we can do. Well, and I imagine just your, you know, your global team, your global perspective, your multicultural perspective, it helps you just bring that to the table every day, actually, without even thinking about it, um, which is probably one of the reasons that your clients love working with you. I know that uh, Eat has been through some difficult times, and I was wondering, you know, you, you're clearly doing extremely well um, at this point. You've been through the difficult times. If you could look back, you know, over the you know last 10 plus years of building the studio, you know, what, what would be some advice that you would give to yourself? I have five quick ones. Okay. So I think first, and that's, this is the main and most important advice that I really wish I, because people gave it to me, but I didn't listen, but I wish, you know, I had. Um, to not carry stress as a badge of honor, the way that society is so used to as like, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm so busy. As yeah. like, you don't say that you're so busy, you're not doing good enough. And that is not a good thing. Uh, stress is a pretty real thing that can, uh, that can lead into pretty reversible health issues. And any of the like, I'm, 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 I'm writing that. Write that down. down, Louis. Write yeah, it down. That's a good I feel one. Like, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> Second one, um, to own a business uh, requires much more than uh the passion that we have for our craft. Um, I think that's a, that's a, a, um, an assumption that not an assumption. I think that's something that the majority of creatives that start their companies, they have a passion for what they do. And then all of a sudden, uh, you are crushed by all these different realities and things that you never thought that you would have to learn about, uh, the left and right side of the, the brains and, 
the brain and you, you're just having to, to, to struggle to figure out things that you never thought. Or like I did, I try to push it away to not have to see it. And then all of a sudden, those th- I mean, those things are not going anywhere. You're going to have to face them one day or the other. So you rather uh, surround yourself with people that you trust to be able to trust them and, and establish a, a, really, uh, a, a really good way to, to, to get reports to you every week so that you know and, and make sure that you understand what these reports are about. Not just getting the reports are just, it's not enough because at the end of the day, you're going to be calling the shots. And if things go wrong, it's your company that is mm-hmm. not going to be there anymore. Yep. So that's number two. Number three, uh, very important to know who your company is and your company's DNA before you set yourself up to, um, to, to more positive hiring, hi- hires. Uh, and, and especially with the tendency of working remotely, uh, you need to hire better because you're not going to be there to check on everyone's computers and see and micromanage. There's micromanaging remotely is pretty much impossible. Uh, And so you need to hire very well. And to hire very well, you go back to that question that you asked before. Like you need to know who you are, what you want this company to be, how do you want to be represented? Um, Number four, teams need real leadership. Um, I was always kind of weirded out by... The, by being a boss, because I've always, I learned with Brennan Brown that, you know, power over people is not the right way to go. And, and it was always hard for me to, to see myself as that person that could be using the, the power that way, because that's, that was never the way that I, that I want to be perceived by people. So, but still people need leadership and leadership is something that is built uh, with trust where you have a team that trusts you, that they are there because they want to be there, because you're providing them with, with, uh, with an amazing company, an amazing platform for them to, to be the best version of themselves. And last and, fin- and final, um, I love this guy, Ben Horowitz. Uh, read a book called uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things. Yeah, because he says that at the end of the day, when things go wrong, it's always the CEO's fault. <laughs> and I remember when I read that, I thought for a, for a good while. And it's so true. At the end of the day, uh, we need to be... The, the hardest thing is for the CEO to be able to deal with our own psychological issues because you, you, you're going to need to be there. And to be a really good CEO, you, you, you need to not quit. In in a lot of times you're alone and you're like oh I have to have I have to keep calling the final shots. Yeah, so um, I love that you brought up Ben. Ben's my old boss, Shut and up. I swear. And no. um, I was uh, one of the things that he's really big on, as you talked about, is around responsibility. Um, yeah. And I was actually um, he's given me some great advice over the years. One piece of advice that he gave me when I was starting my first company was around this idea of responsibility. And he said, you know, there's going to be days when it's really, really tough and you're going to go home and maybe you're going to be really stressed out. Maybe maybe you're going to get, you know, you're going to be working long hours. Maybe that's going to stress your wife out. Maybe you have a fight with your wife. And he said to me, he said, don't ever say something like, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing this, I'm doing this for you. Right. Wow. And so 
you know, why are you giving me such a hard time for working so long? I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for the family. And he said, he goes, he's like, you have to own all of that. He's yeah. like, it, instead of ever saying you're doing this for them, because the truth is you're doing this for you, Lewis. Exactly. Right. And so yeah. actually what you should do when you go home is you should just say, thank you so much for supporting me to do this crazy, stupid, impossible thing that forces me to work all these extra hours, et cetera, et cetera, and allowing me to pursue my passion and my dreams. And I was actually listening to him on Clubhouse last night, and he was saying something very similar, where he was basically saying, no matter what argument you ever get in with somebody, if you really want to build a, a long-lasting relationship with that person, ask yourself, what did you do, anything, to make that argument worse? Maybe it was an eye roll. Maybe it was how you responded to something. Because no matter how right you think you are, there's always something that you did to make that worse 100% of the time. And then if you come from that place of taking responsibility and trying to apologize, then you can build real relationships and trust. Ben's a smart guy. I agree with you. It's, it is hard thing about hard things is, is a great a book. Yeah. I go back to that book all the time. Yeah. yeah. Gabrielle, Renata, um, it's been really exciting to learn more about Eat Studios. I've loved having you on today's Startup Stack. Thank you so much for telling me about your agency and, and your story. I really appreciate the time today. Guys, thank you for putting the time and bearing with us and all the technical issues that we've had, but this has been so pleasant. For more on our conversation today, visit www.rocketplace.com slash podcast. We upload a new episode every week. So if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the Startup Stack in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Thanks again for joining us. See you next week. The Startup Stack, written and edited by Hannah Levy, produced by Leah Jackson.